Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And this is Episode 8 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this week's episode, we are going to do something a little bit different than we have in past episodes. We have received quite a number of questions that have come in from listeners, which of course is very exciting. And these questions are actually very thought provoking. And we may, we actually have so many that we may not actually be able to get through all of them. Uh, but we are going to try our best. So episode eight of Inside Quizzing is going to be the listener question response. Uh, episode. And of course, if you would like your, ep- uh, your, not your episodes, if you would like your questions to be answered on a future podcast, email them to iq at cbqz.org. So iq for inside quizzing and cbqz, uh, for Christian Bible quizzing.org. And Scott and I would be extremely excited to uh, read your questions and answer them at, on a future podcast. But before we dive into that, we need to first do a material deep dive. And of course, this week is Second Corinthians chapters 10 and 11. So Scott, what are your thoughts about chapters 10 and 11? How close are we to the end here? Looks like we've got 13 chapters. Just about, yeah. Well, um, kind of going along the same theme as all of our more recent material deep dives, Second Corinthians has these nice bite-sized chapters, which lend themselves really well to study, because I think it helps keep them separate in the head, and it can help you with your reference study. And it also is really helpful on chapter reference questions and chapter verse reference questions when you need to locate a specific verse or locate a specific chapter. There's just less material to go through, and so that can be a really big help. One thing that caught my eye when going through uh, chapters 10 and 11 myself was that I, I was noticing there really aren't a lot of key verses in this chapter. And so, I mean, if you're a rookie quizzer or you're, you know, maybe a second year and you haven't, you know, put a lot of memorization under your belt necessarily so far this year, I would encourage you to take a look at, at 10 and 11 and um, these, these key verses, there's really just not very many of them that are in here. I think just about anybody who could really just uh, puts maybe 15 to 30 minutes in could memorize a good chunk of these uh, in particular, like, you know, uh, looking at uh, chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, nicely fit together. Verse 3 is a short verse. So I'd encourage folks to be able to get into this. Uh, it's it's a, a pretty easy material to be able to memorize. I mean, relative to some of the other stuff that we've had to encounter. Absolutely. And looking through the reference material for Second Corinthians 10 and 11, I see a lot of color, which means that this is probably pretty unique material, and it might have words and phrases that are more memorable, which would make them easier to memorize. And it will it probably means that there are fewer reference questions coming from this material. And so the reference questions that are written are probably um I guess what I'm saying is there's not a whole lot. And so it can really help you in your study by just kind of looking through the reference material for those words and phrases that aren't in color. And kind of hearkening back to one of our new rules about invalid questions if the question is not answered. The rule of thumb for quizzers is if there's a not in the phrase, you got to include it in the question. So looking at 2 Corinthians 10.12 and 10.14, phrases like we do not what and we are not what, if we had not what, um, those, those could potentially be good reference questions, but make sure that the question that you provide has that not in the question. Otherwise, it will be invalid. And if you provide the not in the question and the quiz master says, no, I actually didn't need that not in the question, then you have a very clear challenge. And you can say, hey, it's invalid the way that you have constructed your question. And of course, as we know, challenges are a wonderful and good thing. Uh, so definitely be keeping that in mind. Well, the other thing that, that kind of popped into my mind, in uh, especially in Chapter 10, there's quite a lot of very straightforward multiple answer questions. Uh, some reference multiple answers, uh, but a lot of just very straightforward uh, multiple answer questions. And a lot of key words that relate to those as well. So, you know, as Scott was saying, a lot of color uh, in the material, and of course he's referring to the material uh, reference that, you know, colors things in blues and reds and greens and so forth. But, uh, you know, like in, in chapter 10, verse 1, by the humility and gentleness of Christ. So by the what uh, might be uh, an interesting question there. Uh, the other one, where was the other one? My eyes were flickering too, but verse now I've lost f- it. Verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension. 
Yeah, and and then uh, verse ten, uh, his letters are what uh, weighty and forceful. Uh, two very beautiful blue, uh, unique words right there. Yeah, I, mean, I don't. I'm not really seeing any others that pop out to me right off the bat, but. Uh, chapter 11, verse 27, I have labored and toiled. Uh, I have what? Of course, that's even better because uh, 27, 11, 27, I have labored and toiled and have gone on uh, without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. I have what? Just sort of screams multiple answer uh, a chapter verse reference from 1127. That would be a great one. I saw another one. Oh, yeah, verse 13. For such people are what? Would be a great multiple answer. False apostles, deceitful workers, uh, masquerading as apostles of Christ. Yeah, and be careful about masquerading because uh, you've got masquerading in 13 and masquerades in 14 and masquerade in 15. And all three of them are unique words. Yeah, so you're probably going to be fine even if you misquote one of those words. Um, you won't be called out of context or incorrect or anything, but you will have to make sure you get the exact right form of it for the question that is being asked. And if you happen to jump on masker, um, even though that there are three occurrences of that, that kind of start to a word, they're all right next to each other. You can just quote those three verses and you'll be assured to get it right. Right. Masquerading as what, uh, masquerades as what, and masquerade as what. Uh, now, here's, of course, the, uh, you know, the interesting question here. So if somebody were to jump on masquerading as what, uh, but they jumped masquer and they didn't get the rest of it, and instead it was masquerade as, and they answered masquerading as apostles of Christ, and the true answer is servants of righteousness, would you give them the opportunity to go back and quote 13? So I would as long as they don't mix up the phrasing. So the three phrases are masquerading as apostles of Christ, masquerades as an angel of light, masquerade as servants of righteousness. Regardless of the one that I'm asking for, if they say um, any of those three correctly, I will just kind of look at them and allow them to continue askering. <laughs> but <laughs> if um, if they mix them up, so if they say masquerading as an angel of light – I think at that point I would call them incorrect. Interesting. Interesting. Because, I mean, I would look at the three answers, apostles of Christ, angel of light, and servants of righteousness as being uh, at least answerably interchangeable, right? Because you're saying what masquerades as something, what what is a masquerade of something, what is masquerading as something, and it's all sort of the same sort of three things. Uh, you don't think that you could sort of interchange those things until you got the right phraseology for the one that was being asked for? I could pro probably be convinced, um, but we do want to be testing knowledge of the material, and we want quizzers to demonstrate that they do know the material and not that they know it barely and can piece together multiple phrasing in multiple goes, you know? And I think one question that also gets raised here is um, – does the quizzer need to say all of the words in a given phrase uh, strung together, or do they merely have to say all, all of the words in that phrase in some order, even if they were saying other phrases? You know, it, it, you know what? To what extent does the quizmaster need to require um, the quizzer to know, like what it is their answer? What it is that they're answering, if you know kind of what I'm getting at? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if somebody were to jump on masquerade, and let's say I'm I'm asking from chapter 11, verse 13, and so I'm asking masquerading as what, and they jump on masquerade, and they start saying uh, masquerade as Christ, masquerade as apostles, masquerade as angels, and, you know, they kind of jump around a little bit, and it's like, well, okay, they, the answer masquerading as apostles of Christ, they have said Christ, they have said apostles, do I really feel that they've answered that question? And at that point, it's like, uh, not really, it's like they've given me words, I, the, and, and technically they have given me all the words that comprise the answer, but I really want those, you know, the, the couple of words there to be sort of in sequence. I agree. Yeah. Well, let's see. What else can we uh, can we glean from chapters ten and eleven? I think from the end of chapter eleven, you could get some interesting reference questions from the who is weak and who is led into sin. Like, there's a split multiple answer that you wouldn't be a fan of. Um, but I think questions of those form kind of are often written, 
And so even if a who is what question feels super weird, um, I would be prepared for it. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of unique words in 32 and 33 in chapter 11. In Damascus, uh, the governor under king uh, lowered basket window wall slipped. Uh, very, uh, very key material right there. And then how would you pronounce uh, the city of the Damascan, uh, Damascenes? Damascus. Damascus. I probably, I probably would say Damascus. Damascenes. Yeah. I think a heart. I think a hard C is kind of a given from Damascus. I wouldn't say Damascenes. Yeah. Um, and I probably would say that whole last thing is one syllable and not two, like Damascenes or something. Right. Damascenes. Although huh? Damascenes kind of has a, a flow to it, doesn't it? It does. It does. And of course, the beauty of quizzing, uh, any of these would be acceptable as long as we understand what you're talking about. And Damascus is a key word earlier in that verse, uh, but those are the only two occurrences of it. So shall we head on to our listener questions, Griffin? Yes, let's do that because we have quite a few. So the first one comes in from Aiden, and he writes as follows. In the newest materials, chapters uh, 9 and 10, uh, so just a little bit before what we were talking about, although we did talk about 10 uh, just now, some phrases from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 are being repeated. For example, entrenched in every way. Enriched. Enriched, sorry, enriched in every way appears in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 1, verse 5, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11. Since enriched only appears twice, could you ask an interrogative, uh, entrenched how or in every way? Uh, similarly, could you ask a finish this reading, let the one who boasts, since this appears in 1 Corinthians 1 and in 2 Corinthians 10 and is the exact same answer? And of course, uh, if there are certain folks like Cuddy listening in right now to the podcast, I know she's getting very excited about the answer. But Scott, what is the answer? Um, this is a pretty interesting question because the phrase exactly appears twice in different chapters. And so the fact that, that it, it is exactly the same does not mean it can't, um, does not mean it is not a reference question. So it's this, it's a phrase appearing more than once, um, in the material and it has to be a chapter reference in that case. Yes, indeed. Uh, of course, this kind of reminds some of the older quizzers about a question type that is no longer in practice anymore, the infamous or famous, depending on your point of view, uh, cross-reference question. Which is where you're given a phrase and you're – are you asked to come up with a reference of the multiple occurrences of that phrase? I – this actually predates me, which, uh, I mean, really puts it back into the uh, the Stone Ages um, because I, I've been around for a while. But I believe the cross-reference was where – it was similar to like a situation where you had to finish the quote or finish the phrase or something like that. And then you had to provide all of the locations where it, where it came from, uh, the, the references where it came from. How interesting. Now, that's kind of a, a point of question writing style. I don't really like these types of questions. Because if if I'm writing them as a reference question and the answer is the same in both places, then I'm really not testing any sort of reference knowledge. Yeah, agreed. And I tend to shy away from them myself, both for, both for that reason and just the fact that they can be a little confusing as well. They can be, but as long as you're giving the quizzer a specific chapter, if they hear enriched, you know, I don't think they'll be confused. But yeah, in yeah. my in my head, it's not it's not really much of a reference test. And uh, not to throw a wrinkle into the mix, but um, I know of a district who, if, say, the phrase enriched in every way appears twice in the same chapter, but many verses apart from each other, will write that um, as an interrogative question because it's the same answer both times. Interesting. Well, being that you're of, your, you know, your, your unique position on the uh, rules committee and so forth, uh, or, or being uh, so close to the rule book as you are, do you think there's any chance of cross-reference questions coming back in the near future or even distant future? I would imagine not, but that's purely because I don't recall anyone ever bringing it up. Um, but who knows? Maybe one person brings it up and everyone else thinks it's a great idea. I, you know, but I, I really have no insight further than that because it's, I've never had a conversation with anyone who, besides Cuddy, who was really gung ho about bringing back reference questions. I have had conversations with people who are in favor of getting rid of context altogether, um, under the belief that if a quizzer can quote multiple occurrences of the same thing, um, 
be at the start of a verse for finish the verse or um, a word that appears four times in the material but in different context and maybe it's it's starting an interrogative question, but the belief that if a quizzer can do that, why would we not want to reward them with points? Yeah, and I can see that argument. There's there's part of me that that says, you know, on a philosophical level, if a quizzer can jump and accurately answer a question uh, and can provide me information from anywhere within the material, like like the idea being that if the if a quizzer can jump and quote an entire chapter accurately to me. The fact that they may not have gotten exactly the right question uh, to me in a reference question uh, seems sort of beside the point. Uh, I'm, I'm certainly very interested, and this kind of goes to some things that we're going to be talking about in some of the other questions. I'm certainly very interested in encouraging greater memorization of the material by every quizzer. And so I don't want to penalize a quizzer for being able to memorize, uh, you know, an entire chapter or an entire book and still and, and be able to recite all of it perfectly and still not be, uh, be able to get a question correct because of a technicality. On this, uh, on the flip side of that, I can see the counter argument to say, but if you allow the complete removal of context, then jumping speeds are going to get considerably faster. Yeah, and I think there's always going to have to be balance when you're constructing a, a competition because if if the sole um, aim of the competition was to identify the quizzers or teams who knew the material the best, well, you would just have some sort of quoting B, right, where one quizzer would be given one verse at random to quote, um, and if they did it correctly within the time, uh, then they were still in, and you would just go until you were left with one quizzer. And I think everyone would feel pretty good that you've identified the quizzer who does know the material the best, but I don't think anyone would have a whole lot of fun doing that, and I don't think you would um, – provide the incentives for quizzers to really work hard and memorize. And I think that's what the competition does. In the same vein, if every single question that was asked was unique on the on the first uh, quarter syllable, then um, it might be a lot of fun. The jumping would be pretty fast. There might be a lot of correct questions. Um, but you'd have uh, – that setup would almost never identify the best prepared quizzer and team um, because of the – luck based or um you know it, for lack of a better way to put it the questions are super easy so you're not really testing deep knowledge of the material um and so that'd be maybe the other end of the spectrum and quizzing kind of falls in the middle so there's definitely variation you can have the same three teams in one quiz early in the meet and same and then same three teams late in the meet and have a wildly different outcome um and that sort of variability keeps things exciting but there's still enough structure that specifically rewards really good study like rules um you can't give an incorrect answer you have to stay in context you have to quote a keeper's question word perfect like those sorts of things are are kind of pushes to identify which quizzers and teams have memorized the material and um really 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 well and reviewed it well yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you're you're hinting into really the next question anyway, uh, something that I think we can both get, you know, kind of go on some bird walks a little bit uh, with mission and philosophy. But the the so I mean, let's just uh, jump into it, because I think we're, we're going to have a lot of discussion here as well. So the next question and actually next set of questions comes from Andrew, who actually is emailing us from the northeastern district uh, CMA. He's, he's CMA, right? Yes, definitely. Yeah. So um, he's, he's still in CMA, but he's from the Northeastern District. And by the way, if there's anybody who is non-CMA who is listening to the podcast, please email us your thoughts and questions. I'd very much be interested in hearing them. I know Scott would be as well. Uh, and especially, you know, if you've been quizzing in World or if you're part of Nazarene or Assemblies or any of the other quiz programs, uh, we'd very much like to, to hear from you. But anyway, regarding Andrew's question uh, from Northeast uh, District, his first question is sort of a mission and philosophy question, and it reads as follows. Many times in quizzing practice, I feel as though we focus heavily on the competition side of quizzing and never enough uh, of the understanding of the Bible or the mission of Bible quizzing. How do you guys run practices, and how would you advise others to make sure they're helping their kids understand what they're memorizing uh, during that practice time? I don't want to chunk uh, competition uh, out of the window. Uh, but neither do I want to neglect the mission of quizzing uh, found in the rule book. And 
I'm very particularly interested in this question. I know Scott is as well. We are both very passionate about quizzing for a lot of reasons. But I think, uh, you know, speaking personally, and I, I'm sure Scott has some some similar uh, stories that, that he can share. I am, uh, I, I don't think we've talked about this in the podcast before. I'm, I'm a theologian. I'm a pastor. I'm an ordained pastor. I do a lot of ministry in a lot of different contexts, and I've been doing youth ministry for a while. Uh, although I'm not a youth pastor, I'm, I'm a senior pastor. Uh, the, the, I have seen in my experience with quizzing, I have seen quizzers who were extremely disillusioned. I have seen uh, youth who were, uh, I'll even say, you know, on the doorsteps of contemplating suicide, who have been involved in quizzing, who have uh, memorized uh, God's word, who have who have written the word of God, the, the, the scripture of God on their hearts. And I have seen that transform them over time, sometimes very quickly, uh, but a, a lot of times even just slowly over the course of a year or over the course of a year or two. And and I've seen this transformation happen from somebody who you would never think would be able to turn their life around, who was, was always sort of separate from other people and I've and, and separate from God. And I've seen the writing of scripture on their hearts turn that person back to God and strengthen and build and strengthen a relationship with God through uh, Christ Jesus that has remained with that person their entire life for years and years and years after uh, after the quizzing experience. So for me, I am there. There is the there is the super ideal in in my mind of of certainly I would love every quizzer to memorize every verse. I would love every quizzer to be able to understand every verse, and I would love every quizzer to be a theologian, <laughs> you know, a, a, across all the material that they are memorizing. That being said, I, that, I think that's a bridge too far for quizzing. Ultimately, if I have to pick and choose, and this is going to sound very weird as somebody who, who loves theology and loves teaching theology and talking about theology, there's part of me that says, and actually not part of me there's there's really all of me that says i have seen the holy spirit illuminate the words of scripture written on somebody's heart and if i can play a part in getting those words written onto a quizzer's heart i can trust that the holy spirit will do the vast majority of the rest of the work call it the the 90 to 99% of the work to take those words and illuminate them within the quiz and so my goal personally in quizzing is to build situations that encourage as many quizzes as possible to put as much of the material of God in their heart as possible. And then certainly I am there, and I know Scott is, and I know others are there within the program to help explain, to help provide wisdom and knowledge uh, in the context of, of the material that we are memorizing. But ultimately, I have seen the situations where, and, and it's it's not just a handful of anecdotal situations. I've seen this as the majority case where if you just have the words of Scripture alone, given time, the Holy Spirit will illuminate those into uh, a wisdom within the earth. So I know that's my personal experience, but I don't know, Scott, what are, what are your sort of thoughts about it? I think I have three main things. Um, one is I've often faced the question um, – this exact question, like, do we put too much of an emphasis on the competition aspects of Bible quizzing? Um, run, you know, since I run our own district, I've had questions from parents saying, why, why is it that 70 to 90% of our budget for the year goes towards um, out-of-district meets for 10 to 20% of our quizzers? Um, it seems like that's a disproportional allocation of the funds from Bible quizzing. And I think... One thing that people don't want to admit as much is that the competition is deliberately set up to trick kids into memorizing the Bible. There are very few other youth programs where there's memorization of scripture um, either at all or in any magnitude close to Bible quizzing. The closest may be something like Awana, where kids are memorizing maybe 100 verses in a year, would you say, Griffin? Yeah, I was I, never involved in Awana, but yeah, it's somewhere around there. I never progressed past, I think, when it was called Chiefs and Pals, so I don't know what um, youth who are getting their citation award, how many verses they're having to memorize a year. But um, there's really nothing, you know, most Sunday schools, youth groups might have some memorization, but it's 
you know, a verse a week or, you know, five verses over a, um, a half year or something like that. But quizzing, you, you know, a lot of quizzers memorize hundreds and hundreds of verses, thousands over their quizzing career. And even the quizzers who get very few questions probably memorize 25 verses in an average quizzing career or more. And um, I asked quizzers from the church that I go to, and I would guess that they are decently representative of the average quizzer. Um, and I asked them either how many verses a year did they memorize in years where they weren't quizzing, um, or just if they quizzed for seven years, just had them guess, like, how many verses do, do they think they would have memorized? And almost none of them said that they would memorize more than five in a given year if it weren't for Bible quizzing. And then for all of them, there were all kinds of quizzers within Bible quizzing. Some of them memorized five, ten verses a year. Some of them memorized six to eight hundred. But the difference between a maximum of five per quizzer to an, you know, an, a maximum of eight hundred and an average of maybe a hundred, like that's just a, a massive dis- difference. And it is all due to the structure of Bible quizzing. There is competition. And I think another very important point is that there are layers of competition. This is why within our district, um, I think it's important that we have a prelim round and then we have a semifinals and consolation round with different brackets. And I've um, thought about ways to have a junior and a senior um, kind of bracket for quizzing like some districts do because um, it's not my job to um, necessarily understand or justify why everyone's in Bible quizzing. Um, The motivations are myriad. You know, some kids just want to win. Some kids, um, their parents are making them. Some kids, they have a friend that they just want to be with. Um, Some kids want to memorize a lot of verses. Some kids don't want to memorize any. Um, So there's all kinds of different motivations. There's probably different, different abilities. And so having a varied setup of the competition and the structure of Bible quizzing enables, um, kind of puts in place the incentives for, for the structure to incentivize each quizzer to memorize many more verses than they would have. And so I think it might sound pretty negative the way that I'm saying it's like a trick, but I think it is a trick and I think it's fine if we acknowledge it because it's not a negative thing, but, um, I mean, for the most part, kids don't like school when they're having to memorize um, kingdom phylum class order for biology or dates for history or um, multiplication tables or whatnot, you know. But they're given a sort of structure as far as um, grades and your future and maybe some social pressure, peer pressure or whatnot. Um, But for Bible quizzing, we have the competition because um, I'm not going to make anyone quiz. And one thing that I've learned maybe more than anything else is – um, you can't make a quizzer want to memorize and want to study. It just won't. It just won't work. Um, and so I think the competition is the only reason that Bible quizzing exists, and it is the single thing that gets youth to memorize the Bible in such large quantities. Now, since I run our district, another thing that I've come to believe is that it's not my job to ensure that every participant is memorizing the Bible for the correct reasons that they understand um, the meaning of everything that they're memorizing, that they apply it to their lives, that, you know, all of that. I think it is my job to just put in place a program that um, incentivizes and helps kids memorize way more of the Bible than they ever would have without the program. And I'm not going to decide ahead of time how those words and how the Holy Spirit is going to impact their lives. And I do know that almost every church program, so like at the church level, um, engage in a lot more of that sort of Bible study, um, praying about the scripture. Um, I've, I, I know that there are quizzers who would lead Bible studies before practice. And so there's a lot more of that sort of uh, specific application of the scripture, um, specific understanding of the scripture that happens at the church level. And I think that's fantastic because those adults and program leaders involved are the ones who see the kids um, at a minimum once a week, probably a lot more. And so they are uniquely suited to really um, help the kids along. And then my last point was about the importance of context. And so um, a lot of things in, I'm going to say the Christian religion, but it probably applies to any religion, but a lot of things that um, are set up for people to memorize via a Bible study, via sermon, via Sunday school, it's really bite-sized, and it's verses cherry-picked from here or there. 
because they have a really strong message. I think that's great. But I think one of the huge benefits of Bible quizzing and one of the things that makes it unique is how um, kids are memorizing entire chapters and entire books. And there's just something you gain from knowledge of, an, of a giant context like that that you don't get from cherry-picked verses. And that's and that knowledge really informs how I write questions because I want to be testing larger portions of the material that have more of a complete thought that is testing the kids on their knowledge of a context. I love finish these two verses or quote these two verses. You know, two verses when the message is amplified when they're together, yeah, they're going to be more difficult because there's more information that the quizzer has to quote. Um, but I think the impact and the importance of questions like that are great. If there's two different passages, Jesus said to whom in one, and you know, I think it's really cool to know that, oh, in this part of the material, he's talking to this group of people, and this part of the material, he's talking to this group of people. Like, it's just context that helps you understand and internalize the material. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the there's a couple of things I want to respond to uh, based on what you were talking about. As a theologian, I see so many times the I've learned one verse here and one verse there phenomenon that you were talking about. I've seen that get people tripped up uh, theologically and religiously and spiritually even. It can have a significant negative impacts to take one verse here and one verse there out of context and merge them up together. Uh, you know, the, the whole idea of, um, you know, this is a little bit on the crass side of things. But, uh, you know, Judas went out and hung himself, uh, go therefore out and do ye likewise. I mean, I can take two different verses out of context, stick them together and get terrible, terrible, terrible doctrine. And so the idea of encouraging blocks and bigger and bigger concepts, chapters and multiple chapters together is going to lend itself to better and better theology. But even that, all of that aside, even all of that aside, just the basic idea of writing the words of Scripture on your heart ultimately leads to the Holy Spirit illuminating it and uh, making a huge blessing uh, through that memorization process. I've seen this happen in people's lives. Um, I've, I've seen people have their lives turned around because of quizzing. And, I, you know, people would say, oh, they were on, you know, Griffin's team or Scott's team or somebody's team. And, you know, they, they had a great mentor or something like that. And it's like, no, it, it, I, it really comes down to the verses getting into their heart and the Holy Spirit working on uh, within them. Uh, to illuminate those verses, and I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, and I believe in the in the power of of Holy Scripture. And I'm reminded in this context of uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter six. I would I would hazard to say uh, that I think uh, Christ's uh, most favorite book was Deuteronomy, uh, given how frequently he quoted it. Uh, but from Deuteronomy uh, chapter six, starting in verse five, uh, five through seven. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Uh, sounds pretty familiar, uh, to, to us. You know, love your, the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Uh, talk about them when you sit at home and when you, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. And I think doing that, abiding by that command to impress the, the the commandments of God on, uh, on our children and and to write them on our hearts and to affix them to our uh, doors and to talk about them when we are at home and on the road and when we lie down and when we get up to have those words memorized lends itself gives us an opportunity I think to be so much more able to fill this particular command uh, in verses six and seven than we would otherwise. And so, you know, kind of bringing this all the way back around, I think, yes, absolutely. I, I, I know church programs do Bible studies, and I think that's a wonderful thing. And I know they do theological discussions about the material. I think that's a wonderful thing. And I don't want to dissuade anyone away from doing those things. But if I had to make a choice between deep diving on a couple of verses uh, in a Bible study context, or simply memorizing a chapter and not having the discussion and not having the Bible study. Certainly, I I don't want either of those. I want all of the, the all of the things. But if I had to choose between those two things, the the having more memorized will ultimately always, I believe, to be better 
because I believe the Holy Spirit will illuminate those. Definitely. And I remember a story from uh, one program who kind of as a way to raise funds for their own program, they had all of their quizzers go and quote the material during like a church Sunday school. And so the eight or 10 quizzers on the team just went verse by verse down the line and back again. And it just floored the entire congregation who had no idea that these youth were memorizing the Bible at all. And then the that they had memorized so many verses and then could quote them out in front of a large group of people. I mean, I think it shows that probably none of the congregation had done anything like that when they were kids. And so this is a very rare thing. And I think it's a, it's a credit to Bible quizzing in all denominations um, and in all districts of how much um, it helps kids memorize the Bible. It is. It's a precious and wonderful thing. And uh, I, I've seen in a lot of different contexts, uh, Bible quizzing wane a little bit over the last few years, and it fills me with uh, grief and apprehension and, and terror slightly because I see so much value that can come from and, – and not just can come, but has come and will come from the memorization of Scripture. When I evangelize quizzing, when I'm sitting down with you know a bunch of pastors at like a pastor's uh, sort of lunch or dinner or a pastor's retreat or something like that, I, I – you know, if you, if any pastors who are listening to this who know me, they know that, you know, if you get me on the topic of quizzing, I won't shut up for a while and it can be very annoying and I apologize for being annoying. Uh, it's just because I have so much passion about the value that this program can provide, uh, to quizzers and to participants and coaches and everyone who's involved in it. And so one of the first things that I encounter when I'm trying to broach the subject of, of, of what is Bible quizzing, somebody's never heard of it before, and I said, oh, well, let me tell you how awesome this program is. Uh, these are junior high and high school kids who memorize whole books of scripture. And I, I, I say that and I, you know, I almost count, you know, one, one thousand, two, one thousand because I can see the expression on the face of the person that I'm talking to where they almost, they, they kind of get incredulous a little bit. They're like, well, do they really memorize, like, really? Word perfect? Like, is, is, is it trivia? They try to sort of dumb down the idea of what Bible quizzing is. And I have to explain, like, no, no, really, this is, what I'm talking about, it's, it's quizzers, it's, it's, it's junior high and high school kids memorizing the entire books of, of scripture. You should come see it. And I try to keep, I, I'm always trying to invite people to come to quiz meets to see what happens because that once they see it, I, I remember uh, this is again, another anecdotal story, but, um, uh, this particular year, uh, you know, each year in the Pacific Northwest, uh, I think for a, a while now, it's gotta be probably, what, 10 or 10 plus years now, we've done a scramble meet at the beginning of the year. How, how long have we been doing those? Um, I know that I think they might have actually started when I was quizzing. So at least 12 years. Yeah, at least 12 years. It's, it's been a while. So essentially what we do is we, at the very beginning of the quiz season, and it's, and it's really, it's just prior to the official start of the season. Uh, anybody who's interested in quizzing kind of comes together at a it's, it's, it is technically a quiz meet, but it doesn't count for anything. And all the quizzers get scrambled up into a series of different teams from other churches. And so as a quizzer, even if you've never quizzed before, if you're a rookie, you kind of come in and you get hooked up with people from other churches. You get this op opportunity to uh, meet a whole bunch of people from everywhere. And then you just get to kind of quiz and in, sort of enjoy the, ex the, the experience. And I think, you know, it's only off, off a very short amount of material, you know, maybe what the first four or five chapters or something, or is it even it's usually, that much? It's usually right in the 80 to 100 verses range, whatever chapters that mean. Yeah. So it's a very, it's a very small number of verses, but the, the group comes together and not everybody participates, but it's a wonderful opportunity for, you know, like I said, rookies or, or second years or so forth to get together and to kind of experience what a quiz meet is like without really having the pressure of, of the competition. This is just a lot of, a lot of fun and we do workshops and that sort of thing. And this particular year, uh, I actually was, uh, I don't know, I volunteered to help host and I worked with a, an old church that I, that my wife and I and, and uh, Xander used to attend years back, uh, the Edmonds Church of God. And, uh, the pastor there is a, is a good friend of mine for many years. And I told him about quizzing. And of course, you know, he's, he's heard me go on and on about how awesome quizzing is. And, uh, you know, I said, Hey, you know, it, it could you, would you be willing to host 
this this scrambled meet and he said sure and so you know we we got this wonderful opportunity to host our scrambled meet at his church in Edmonds and it was a it was a great meet but he had the opportunity to step in and actually watch some of the quizzing and he had you know he had heard me talk about quizzing for years um and maybe this is a testament to the fact that I'm a terrible evangelist for quizzing but once he was able to see the quizzing that was taking place at Edmonds, he was blown away by it. It was this, this, it, it was, it was this sort of light bulb moment for him to say, I never thought that something like this was even possible. And that's the kind of thing that, that, uh, quizzing kind of separates itself from a lot of these other memorization programs because of a lot of factors of quizzing. But I think a good chunk of that is based on the fact that, yeah, we are, focused a lot on the competition and the competition encourages the behavior that we ultimately want to see the memorization of large volumes of scripture and as close to word perfect as somebody can put together and of course we can see the value of that both in the short term the changes that are happening within the lives of the quizzers who are in the program now but i would say the greater benefit is to see what that scripture does in the hearts of these quizzers years and years and decades after they leave the the program wonderful thoughts griffin i think it's a fun discussion and it's an important one and i'm happy that people still ask the question um is there too much emphasis on the competition because i think it's helpful to keep um thinking about that and helping um people in leadership guide the best structure that encourages the best amount of memorization and really meets that mission of bible quizzing the best that we can yeah, absolutely. Well, I've droned on way too long. We should probably jump into some of these other questions from Andrew. He actually provided quite a lot of these questions. Uh, one of them was around deity clarifications. Uh, you know, we were talking about the deity rule, and then I, one of the previous uh, podcasts, we were talking about the infamous inverted uh, deity rule, infamous because it doesn't exist yet. Uh, although I'm hoping it will at some point in the not too distant future. But one of the things that Andrew was asking for was uh, it, can a quiz master or must a quiz master provide clarification prompts on a deity? So the way that um, I interpret the rule book and that I see most others interpret the rule book is unless it is specifically um, laid out as allowed, it's not allowed. So in this case, there is nothing in the rulebook about a quiz master prompting a quizzer to clarify a deity. So maybe a quizzer has said God, and the actual answer is Christ, or the Lord Jesus Christ, or the Holy Spirit. Um, the rulebook doesn't say anything about the quiz master prompting, uh, can you clarify God? It just talks about clarifying pronouns, and God is not a pronoun. And so the way that I treat this is a quiz master is not allowed to prompt um, or say anything about clarification with regards to a deity. And so they would just, um, I think the best approach is to just look at the quizzer. Um, you could say again, but sometimes again implies that the quizzer has said something more on the incorrect side. Um, and so I, I find it's, it's the best, it's the most consistent information for the quizzer, for the quiz master to say nothing in most cases. Yeah, and this is actually something where I kind of, uh, stumble a little bit. I, I tend to ask for clarification specifically on a deity claim, you, uh, you know, clarify your deity or something like that. Um, it doesn't happen very often, but I do tend to find myself doing that and then regretting it immediately after because, you know, I agree with you. I, I think I shouldn't be uh, prompting. Uh, I, I believe I, I shouldn't be prompting. And therefore, when I do, it's it's something that could be challenged. So, you know, captains, if you're hearing me right now, you know, if you if you if you're in a quiz with me and I ask for a DD clarification, feel free to challenge. Yeah. And this reminds me of a time when I worked at a, uh, a sandwich shop and this was during the first day or two of training. And the way that we were being trained about how much stuff to put on a sandwich, whether it's meat or hot peppers or anything or cheese is the reason you put a very consistent amount on is so that the customer knows exactly what they can expect regardless of the employee that's working or the store specific store that they go to the specific location and that's also how i view quiz mastering and things like this it's not that the quiz masters are deliberately wanting to be unhelpful to quizzers and withhold information it's that the understanding that the most of us have come to is that you do not ask for a clarification on deity. And so if there is a quiz master who does ask for a clarification on deity, 
you may think that they are being nicer to the quizzer, but in reality, they're creating um, incorrect expectations for some quizzers compared to others. And in the long run, that is not the environment and the competition that we want to have. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we, we want consistency from quiz to quiz and from room to room. And from... So then uh, moving on to the next one, a foul versus an error on a pre-jump. And this one I find uh, very fascinating. It's a pretty straightforward question, although a fascinating situation. Uh, Andrew writes as follows. Uh, six or seven years ago, there was a quiz I was watching where a quizzer pre-jumped, and the quiz master supposedly formed something but gave the quizzer a foul. A captain challenged saying that the fouled quiz should get an error and not a foul because there was a formation or there was formation uh, within the, I'm assuming within the lips of the quiz master. The other two captains also spoke uh, to the challenge and gave their lengthy-ish opinions on the matter. And the quiz master agreed with the challenge and gave the fouled quizzer an error instead, subsequently erring him out. My question is twofold. In this scenario, can you really give the quizzer an error without giving him his 30 seconds to try to answer? On the flip side, uh, can't one argue that you can't give him his 30 seconds to answer a question because with the challenges, the quizzer has technically had extra time to think. Uh, so isn't the worst penalization the quiz master can uh, to the quiz master be a foul? So there's a lot of things to unpack here. First is the definition of the word pre-jump. In the rule book, it just means if a quizzer's light has come on after the quiz master has discernibly begun reading a question, um, but has not finished reading the question. So really, any time from the start of a question to the end of a question, if you jump, it's considered a pre-jump. And um, I don't actually hear the term pre-jump used a whole lot. And sometimes I hear it used to mean jumping at a certain syllable speed and not jumping on recognition, which is jumping only when you hear something that you recognize. And so I think, first off, just kind of understand that there there is a rulebook definition of pre-jump, but people may use it in different ways. The second big thing is, the rulebook says um, once the quiz master has discernibly begun reading a question, um, then the jump will be awarded to the quizzer. So discernibly does not mean is not synonymous with audibly. Um, it means it's more general. So any sort of mouth shape by the quiz master, even if they have not made a sound, fits the discernibly definition. And so as a quiz master, if you have begun moving your mouth at all, uh, for a question, you cannot be awarding a foul. You have to be awarding uh, a jump and then let the quizzer answer as they may. In this situation, if the um, the quiz master had incorrectly given a foul, um, it would be incorrect to then give the quizzer an error because you don't know what would have happened in that 30 seconds. Um, and so in this situation the best thing for the quiz master to do would be to throw out the question and redo it, um, probably actually without any foul. Um, I think that could go either way, whether they want to award the foul for the redone question or not. But definitely an error is much, much too harsh. There, there are times when a quiz master makes an incorrect ruling um, and the quizzer had one second left on their time. And we know that there's no way the quizzer would have gotten it correct. But if the quizzer, if the quiz master had made an error in the way that they ruled, you have to throw out the question. You can't just automatically assume the quizzer wouldn't have gotten it right in their remaining time. And in this case, they had full time, even if they had almost no information to work with. Yeah, um, I completely agree. Um, I mean, I, the, the, the sort of, you know, as I'm, I'm listening to quizzers jump and answer questions, uh, if they are probably correct, but I'm not a hundred percent sure, and I want to, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, probably if I was to think about it a little bit, I probably will count them correct. I'm gonna just let their time continue out to the end of the thirty seconds because then uh, I'm for sure going to have a complete answer that uh, can either be challenged or overturned. But ultimately, it's not an, an ambiguous thing of saying, well, you know, they had another ten seconds, they had another fifteen seconds, they could have gotten around to the right answer had I not just immediately called them correct. But in this particular case, I, I completely agree. Uh, either it's a foul if there was not a discernible beginning formation in from the quiz master, like they, they started to mouth or begin to form something, uh, it, it would be a foul. But the moment that they begin to form some kind of discernible beginning of the reading of the question, then the quizzer is owed their 30 seconds. They can't be aired unless they have been given that 30 seconds, the opportunity to actually uh, answer the question. 
Yes, and as a quizmaster, I know that on say a finish this or finish this in the next or a, a question twenty and a close quiz, I know that the jump is going to be super, super, super fast. And it's times like that when I I deliberately re remind myself to read the question at the normal pace that I that I read every question at with the same um, pausing and cadence, and I tell myself expect to read eight syllables or something very long because I know that it's only when I'm um, not anticipating that jump that I'm going to actually provide a um, a consistent experience to the quizzers timing wise. And there have been cases where there are three amazing teams in the quiz, and each of them has an amazing Hebrew specialist. And I know all of them know about the discernibly begun reading a question definition and are all aiming for only a mouth shape. Like I know all of these things, but I still have to force myself to read the question as if there was no one on the stage um, and then stop when I see the light because it's only then that I can correctly know if I have discernibly begun reading a question when that light comes on and if I should award a foul or not. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I talked way too much about how awesome quizzing is, and I chewed up a whole bunch of time. Uh, we're going to have to maybe skip a few of these questions and come back to them next meet. Is there, in the list of other questions that are here, are there any that are sort of jumping out to you, uh, any questions that are sort of jumping out to you that you really want to uh, tackle uh, this podcast? Um, The only one that I think we could even hope to fit in is that very last one, which is about coaching and qualifications and such. Ah, good. That's actually the one I had my eyes on as well. What are your thoughts? Well, actually, let me read it and then let's get your thoughts on it. So this is about coaching and the qualifications of coaching. We have rules and qualifications on quizzers, uh, quiz masters, and answer, answer judges, but we don't have much said on what do you think the qualifications of a good coach would be? How well-versed should they be in the material or the for zone district international uh, coaching? And what qualities should they exhibit? So I think there's a pretty clear reason why there are qualifications in the rulebook for quiz masters and answer judges and scorekeepers. And that's because they are um, officials for the whole competition. Um, they need to be impartial. They need to have a certain level of proficiency and ability. Um, and that's just kind of for the competition's sake. But for coaches, um, they have impact on their own team. And it's it's totally fine to leave any sort of coaching qualifications up to each church. But I think uh, some of the most important qualities of a really good coach are, I mean, your main responsibility is managing your quizzers. Because they are going to be different ages, different abilities. You might have different, they might have different individual goals. Um, and quiz meets are a long time. Some, some districts have a one day meet, some have two day meets, some day, some have three day meets and internationals is over four or five days. And it's, it's on the coach to help manage expectations, reactions to, um, success, reactions to failure, um, preparation for pressure and all of that, because there are wild emotion, emotional swings, uh, that happen in quizzing. And a coach's, it is the coach's responsibility to smooth out uh, a quizzer's mental state and to give them a really good experience in quizzing. And beyond that, there's a lot more that a coach could do. But I think that's kind of the, the general most important qualifications and responsibilities of a coach. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think there are things that coaches can do become better. You know, certainly if they have a good understanding of the rule book, that, that's helpful. Uh, if they have a certain a, a level of experience within quizzing, if they understand how qu uh, quiz meets work, if they understand who they should talk to, if they've got a question about, you know, a particular schedule situation or, you know, when and how to approach the officials table, you know, during a, a during a quiz or after a quiz, the sort of the, the, the standard procedures or standing uh, standard operations of a quiz meet, I think that's very helpful for a coach. Uh, understanding the material, uh, both from a just a pragmatic, uh, you know, what are unique words versus not, uh, what 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 are the uh, the key verses uh, of the material, all the way into the theological understanding of the material. I think a coach can can benefit their team by having that information, by having that uh, awareness uh, and and skill and experience. But none of those things, in my mind, 
are critical. I think they're they're valuable and they're helpful, but I don't think they're critical. I think the critical thing is uh, it, it's much more um, it's much more mushy uh, than it is for I any other official uh, or any other sort of uh, program director or, or program leader. A, a coach needs to really I'm not sure how to describe it. They they need to a a leader who encourages, who supports, counsels, who encourages, uh, when necessary, corrects and rebukes. And yes, I am quoting from Timothy, but but I mean it, that's sort of the the a, a counselor and almost like a miniature uh, you know pastor in, in respect to the quizzers that are on the coach's team. That I think is is the most critical and probably the only critical part of being a coach. There's lots of things that can make coaching or a, make a coach a better coach, uh, a more experienced coach, a more effective coach. But I think the critical stuff is, is that, that counseling uh, role. I, I don't know, uh, Scott, what do you think? I agree. I don't know if I have any different thoughts. I think as a coach, you have a very unique opportunity because quizzing puts quizzers in many situations, much like other competitive um, things do like sports and, other teams like that, but um, you can guarantee that there will be um, successes and failures. There will be times where um, quizzers think that they were treated unfairly. There will be times where quizzers don't have an appropriate response to something that happened. And each of those situations are, you know, life teaching opportunities for a coach because they're they're part of life. And I think quizzing is an amazing um, structure in which to go through those types of things. And moving on from those types of things, quizzing gives kids the ability to speak publicly in front of people, to formulate an argument on the fly, to have to execute under pressure. And these are these are qualities that are going to be very, very useful for their entire lives. And coaches can help develop those qualities. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so we have a quiz meet in the Pacific Northwest of CMA. Uh, we have a quiz meet coming up here pretty shortly. It's only two weeks away uh, from this Friday, so about two, well, almost three weeks away, I suppose. The uh, For coaches and for program leaders, uh, re please remember that registration uh, for this uh, uh, meet in Madras closes this Saturday at 9 o'clock in the morning. But there's no reason to wait that long. Uh, if you haven't f uh, f uh, filled out your registration, you can go take care of that straight away. It, it's uh, very quick. Uh, for a lot of teams, this is going to be a fairly long drive. Uh, since I think most people live very far away from Madras, of course, Madras is the one is the team that has to have the longest drive of, of uh, everybody in the district in virtually every other case. So I think it's fair uh, that that uh, at least one meet we are driving all the way to beautiful uh, Madras. They are providing. Uh, lunch, uh, carne asada is what I have heard, which sounds extremely yummy. Uh, mm -hmm. so that'll be something very exciting. Uh, let's see. Anything else you want to talk to, uh, talk about with regard to the Madras meet? No. I mean, we'll have a leadership meeting during lunch, and this is always an exciting meet every year because it's the fifth meet, and we'll know at the end of this meet the 20 individuals representing PNW at Great West in Canada, and we'll also know the 18 teams of our 25 teams, but the 18 teams that are moving on to our final meet of the year, which is called district championships in late April. And district championships in late April is going to be at North Seattle Alliance church. That's right. Yep. So anybody who happens to be in the Oregon area, if you are interested in Bible quizzing, if you've never seen it before, uh, you know, this is kind of like what I was talking about a little bit before. It's one thing to hear about quizzing, but once you see it, it it is I, I think there's this moment of 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 like oh my goodness wow th this is really amazing um, once you see it, it it is it is very impactful so if you are anywhere near uh, Madras I encourage you to uh, you know in about a little less than three weeks on a Friday and Saturday uh, come out to the Madras Alliance Church and and take a look and then of course in late April if you're anywhere around uh, the Greater Seattle area. Uh, stop by North Seattle Alliance Church and uh, take a, a watch a little bit of what happens during a championship meet. And I mean, a, really, a championship meet is is not all that much different than a regular meet uh, during the year. It's just that we limit it to the top 18 teams. Yeah, there's a little, a few differences. You know, there's only 18 teams. Teams have eight prelims instead of six. 
And because there's fewer teams, those eight prelims happen in just about the same amount of time that their normal six prelims happen in. So the the overall level of um, preparation is higher because you're only having the top 18 teams, but you're also quizzing more often than you ever have. And so those two things combined um, make for some pretty interesting and tough quizzing. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a wonderful experience for everybody involved. So uh, we haven't gotten through all of the questions, so we'll pick uh, up where we left off in the next episode of the podcast. But if you have any questions about anything that we have talked about or anything quizzing related or even theology or Christianity related, uh, please email us at iq at cbqz.org. And you can follow us on Twitter. Our uh, account is at Inside Quizzing. That's right. And I will uh, close again by just reciting uh, one of my favorite uh, verses from Scripture that we talked about a little bit earlier before uh, from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Uh, Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Griffin. See you all later.